Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Truth in Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld, and we're grateful to have you here today. And John, we're going to be starting a new series, and yeah. it's a series called Celebrating the Word. Now, give me a sense of what it's going to be about. Yeah, we're talking about the Bible, but Ben, as you know, when we talk about the Bible, I mean, there's so many people have been trained to say, well, it's the Word of God, and that kind of ends there. Yeah. And when someone asks us the question, well, how do you know it's the Word of God? Yeah. Well, I just believe it's the Word of God, right? Yeah. So, so it's, it's not a meaningful answer. And so we're going to try to unpack that and talk about, you know, how do we know it's the Word of God? What uniquely does it say? Why is this book different than every other book that's ever been written in the human race? So yeah. stuff yeah. like that. Now, it's interesting. Isaac Dagno has gone out in the street yeah. and done some interviewing to get some ideas from people what they think about the Bible. And I've seen some of the clips and very few people know very much at all. Does that surprise you? Well, it, it doesn't now. I mean, obviously our culture has shifted. So 100 years ago, people would say things like, you know, yeah, they know a lot about the Bible, yeah. and biblical allusions just laced the English language, but that's a forgotten language, so we need to reintroduce people to what that book is and why it is that they should listen to it. Amen. You know, we've got the next five weeks. We're going to be hearing your teaching on the Bible, and we're looking forward to that. Thanks so much. And join us right now for Dr. John Newfeld and Celebrating the Word. Hey, it's Isaac Dagno here from Truth and Life Today. I'm here in beautiful Fort Langley, British Columbia in Canada to ask random people on the street questions about the Bible. How would you describe the Bible? It's a book written by human beings 2,000 years ago. Um, telling the story of God and it's a faith that people believe in and it's kind of like the story of it. I guess misunderstood, uh, misinterpreted, um, helpful. Do you think the Bible is unique or different than any other religious book, say the Quran for Islam? I think all religion is basically the same. I actually don't know any of the other religious books, so I, wouldn't, I don't have enough information to say whether it's unique or not. Parts of it are unique, but not the whole thing. Would you say there's any difference between the Bible and other religious books like the Quran and Islam or the Adi Granth or different things like that? No, not, not in a major way. No, I wouldn't say so. But I haven't read the others, but I, would, I don't think it would make sense if it was. Do you read the Bible? Not anymore. I used to when I was a kid. Uh, have you ever read the Bible? I had to read it once for Greek mythology, just like bits and pieces of it. What do you remember about it? Anything stick out or...? Not much. No, nope, that was my freshman year. <laughs> no, nope, that's okay. You know, much has been made of the idea of the silence of God. Um, you know, it was a number of years ago that Mother Teresa died. I don't know if you remember her, but she was the nun uh, who on the streets of Calcutta had taken in the dying. Uh, after her death, she had left behind a diary and she had given orders that her diary be destroyed, but instead of being destroyed, uh, it, it was decided that it would actually be published. And what it actually contained was a series of her correspondence between her and her confessor. And one of the things that she did in this is that she complained that for the last 30 or so years of her life, that she complained that she had no sense whatsoever of the presence of God or the voice of God. Now, that was, uh, that was made a lot of by, by certain atheist groups. Uh, one of them said that it's very much like the archetypal uh, country and western song, uh, in which, uh, you know, the wife just waiting for her husband to come back because at 30 years ago he said he was going down for some smokes at the corner store, but he just never returned and she's waiting for him every day. And so this atheist says, you know, he wasn't ever going to come back, that is God, 
and she was just waiting for nothing. Well, putting all of that kind of laughter aside, you know, I am reminded of a song that was written by a man named Andrew Peterson, and it's entitled The Silence of God. And he writes, it's enough to drive a man crazy. It'll break a man's faith. It's enough to make him wonder if he's ever been sane when he's bleeding for comfort from thy staff and thy rod, and the heaven's only answer is the silence of God. See, that's one of the themes that I want to talk about today as we begin a series on the Bible and what the Bible actually means. You know, interestingly enough, this theme about the silence of God is a theme that is found in the pages of the Bible. Let me read to you from Job chapter 30, verse 20. Job in his suffering says, I cry to you for help and, do, and you do not answer me. I stand and you only look at me. Or listen to David's words in Psalm 22, verses 1 to 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. You know, the marvelous thing about the Bible when you read it is its frank honesty about the kinds of spiritual experiences that people have. The Bible talks about people's weaknesses, it talks about people's sin, and it talks about their high moments as well. And it speaks definitively to human experience in our own spirituality. And one of the things that people do encounter is something that some of the mystics in the Middle Ages called this, not only the silence of God, but this thing called the dark night of the soul. That is, when the soul experiences nothing of God, but assumes that God must be there, and therefore, in the times of darkness and in the times of silence, all we're left to do is wait. You, you, you and I might wonder, what's the reason for that? And there are a number of responses to it. I've already mentioned the atheist response. I mean, one of the things that atheists say is that this is proof that there is no God. You know, to that, I'd have to respond in a number of ways. God can choose, because he is God, to speak in the way in which he chooses. God can choose because he is God, if and when and how he chooses to speak. And I would say this to the atheist, it really is a deflecting of the theme. The atheist's major problem will always be the issue of creation itself. The fact that something exists rather than nothing is an atheist conundrum which they can never cross over. It will always be the place where the atheist stumbles. The silence of God proves actually nothing for or against the atheist. But still we're struck by the phenomenon. It's real. Some of us simply do not perceive God and we wonder why that would be. Now, I know that, you know, that the television and the airwaves are filled with people who always claim to have an immediate revelation of God. And we hear that all the time. We wonder, what, what do we make of that? I mean, is God speaking regularly to these individuals? And of course, I don't want to speak for everyone, but there are a couple of things that I want you to note. First of all, the Bible says in Isaiah 40, verse 25, to whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. In other words, what the Bible actually says about God is that he is unlike every other thing that we find in the creation. There's this vast difference between the uncreated one and those things that are created by his hand. And so, therefore, we, we shouldn't look at the creation and says that it speaks with the voice of God. Okay, well, that being said, another passage also found in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 55 verse 8 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. 
Uh, Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Now listen, the highest thought that we can ever think will never be worthy of God. There's a vast difference between human intellect and God's wisdom and knowledge. See, having said that, it seems, you know, maybe rather obvious to say to many individuals that, that, look, when a number of people claim to speak for God, they seem to be saying things that they would want to say anyway. You understand what I'm saying? I mean, what they say God is saying to them is something that they'd say whether God was saying it or not. So it just sounds like they're speaking out of their own mind, their own intellect, their own imagination, rather than for the voice of God. And so it still seems that God is silent. Well, you're going to hear me saying that there is a place where God has definitively spoken, and that is in Scripture. That God's not silent at all, that God is speaking and that God has spoken and will speak in the future. And this really is the beginning of a series that speaks about a world which is infused with the voice of God. Scripture is the declarer of that and we'll have so much more to say. The book of Hebrews is a a different book than most of the other books that we find in our Bible because the book of Hebrews is actually a sermon. And this sermon begins as follows. Let me read the first three verses. Long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He that is the Son is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. That's a mouthful. But I find it fascinating because I've begun to speak about this phenomenon that people speak about. It's called the silence of God. And here, rather than speaking about God's silence, it speaks in the opposite way. God has always been speaking. God has spoken in the past and continues to speak. In fact, the overwhelming thing about God is that he's not silent at all. He's speaking at all times. It was the late philosopher and theologian Francis Schaeffer who said he is there and he is not silent, not silent at all. And so we ask ourselves exactly how is it, and and we look at the passage again. It says, long ago... It begins those words long ago. In other words, there is a historic quality to the Christian faith that the God that we say spoke is the God that spoke in history and has spoken in the past. Secondly, it says, at many times. In other words, God has not spoken just once. He has spoken over and over again. And then it adds, and in many ways. So let me start with that one phrase that God has spoken in many ways. And the question is, how has God spoken in many ways? I'm going to give you three ways in which God has spoken. First of all, God has spoken in the created world, in the world that he has created. In fact, when Paul wrote the book of Romans, which is an introduction to the Christian faith, he says that, that nature itself declares something of the majesty of God. We can know something of God by simply viewing the creation itself. 
Uh, and we know that's to be the case. Let me read to you also a passage from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 12, where it says, Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand, and marked off the heavens with a span, and enclosed the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills on a balance? In other words, Isaiah says that if you take the full complexity of the universe, of everything that exists, all of the galaxy, and God would take a span of his hand like this, and he would just simply say, yep, there it is. Now, that's not to give us the idea that God is just a you know, great big human being because God is not. We're, we're using here figurative language, but it's to compare everything that exists in the universe next to the Creator. And we find that the Creator is so much grander and so much more majestic than the creation. And yet, the creation tells us something about the one who created. See, whether or not we examine the, you know, the, the microscopic uh, organisms that scientists view, or whether or not we, we look at, you know, at the galaxy and all its complexity, one thing that seems certain, we are looking at design. We are looking at infinite intelligence. We are looking at creativity at a scale that none of us can even begin to comprehend. And that tells us something about the Creator. That is the voice of God telling us of His majesty. Well, a second way that God has created is not just in the create or spoken, is not just in the creation, but God has also spoken by setting eternity into our hearts. Listen to Ecclesiastes 3 verse 11. It says that God has put eternity into the heart of every man, every woman. Now that is, that there is an inner sense that everyone has that God exists. You know, for years I was a pastor and I came in contact with many people who came out of a communist China in which there was a state-sanctioned atheism that was taught in all the school systems. And over and over again, I heard individuals say, yeah, but I always sensed that there was a God that existed. I had a very dear friend years ago, this is a science teacher. Uh, he was an atheist um, and he used to say to me, uh, I have to teach kids that there is no God because every student I get intuitively believes there is one. It's fascinating. That's just common to the human experience. God has spoken by setting eternity in the hearts of every human being. Now, thirdly, God has also spoken in our conscience. And we know that because, for instance, in Romans chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, we have a very interesting passage in which we are told that God's law is written in the heart of every human being, sometimes accusing and sometimes condemning us. It's fascinating to me. I mean, where does this come from, this sense of oughtness, this sense that some things ought to be and some things ought not to be. And we can't just simply say, well, I was just raised that way. Because when we read about the Holocaust against the Jews, we're not saying, well, I think the Holocaust is wrong because I was just raised to think it was wrong. No, no, we're saying something very different. We're saying it's wrong because there is something objectively and inherently wrong in it. Some things are always wrong and some things are always right. And that speaks to us of a creator who is righteous in all of his ways and that he has placed something of his righteousness in us. And no matter how hard we try, we will never escape this idea that some things are right and some things are wrong. And this also speaks of the creator. God is speaking through our conscience, even though it's true that the conscience can be subverted, yet nonetheless it still stands.
So God has been speaking in various ways, but ultimately and finally, He's been speaking in Scripture and through the voice of His Son. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, Long ago at many times, in many ways, God has spoken to our fathers by the prophets. So God has spoken not only in the creation, and He's spoken not only in conscience and this inner sense of awareness of God, but God has actually spoken through a series of individuals whom we call the prophets. And some explanation is required because the Bible also makes it clear that there's a difference between what's called a, a false prophet and what's a true prophet, and, and how do we make that distinction? Well, the, the Bible makes a distinction, and it gives us a number of markers for a false prophet and a true one. Let me give you four of them very quickly. I mean, first of all, one of the identifiers to discern between a true and a false prophet is this. Is the prophet always correct 100% of the time? And in fact, that's what the Bible actually says in Deuteronomy 18, verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. In other words, in order to testify that somebody is a prophet of God, they've got to be right 100% of the time in all of the details, both in the grand terms of what they're saying, but in, in the minor details as well. And that's because they're speaking for God, you see. And God doesn't make mistakes. Human beings do. So if we want a prophet who speaks in the name of the Lord, he had better not make mistakes and truly reflect the God who doesn't. A second marker would be that a prophet is theologically correct all the time. Now, what does that mean? Well, let me read to you from Deuteronomy 13, verses 1 to 3. It says, If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, Let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether or not you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And I think what's behind all of that is just this simple thing. It's this, God speaks consistently. He doesn't say something and then 300 years later directly contradicts himself. God is consistent. He's always the same. You see, God never learns anything new, and that's because he already knows everything. So, for instance, if God declares himself to be Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, some of the prophets don't say he's Trinity and some of them say that he is. That would be a self-contradiction. So there has to be a theological test of a prophet. Does everything that he says about God, is that actually true? Now, here's the third thing. A marker says simply this, and it's from Deuteronomy 18, verses 10 to 12. Listen to these words. There shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering, anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead. For whoever does these things is an abomination to God. So, what the text actually says is that when God speaks through a prophet, he speaks in a consistent fashion. Uh, God would never call a prophet to worship another God and then at the same time speak for the one true living God. You know, and fourth, all true prophets are evaluated according to their moral character. 
I mean, we find that according to Ezekiel 22 verse 25, false prophets prophesy for personal gain. I mean, they're just looking to, to milk you uh, for their own personal profit. That's not a prophet of God. So there are all sorts of tests in scripture and the prophets that we find in the Bible all meet the, the tests of a true prophet. Uh, but then the writer of Hebrews says, yet God has spoken by these prophets in the past. But then he says, in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. And here the, the writer of Hebrews makes a distinction between a prophet and Jesus. You see, the Bible never calls Jesus a prophet. The Bible calls him the son. And when it talks about him as the son, it says, he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. When the Bible says that Jesus is the radiance of God, please understand the difference between a radiance and a reflection. You see, if you're looking at the moon at night, you're not seeing the radiance of light, you're seeing a reflection of the light. But if you're looking at the sun, you're looking at the actual source of light itself. And that, says the book of Hebrews, is what Jesus is. He's not a reflection of the glory of God. He is the actual source of the glory of God itself. It identifies Jesus as the Son. God has spoken in this way. In the fullness of time, God himself actually entered into the creation itself. God spoke wrapped in flesh and blood. God, as it were, tabernacled among us, says the scripture. You know, in the Old Testament, there was a tabernacle, and the tabernacle was a house that was to convey the idea that God was among them. But now the tabernacle became human flesh, that God actually walked among us as a man, that ultimately and finally, when God spoke to the human race, he spoke in that way. So in answer to the question, is God silent or does he speak? The answer is not, am I you know, sensing that God is speaking personally to me at this moment. The question is actually an objective question. Has God spoken and does he continue to speak? And the answer is he has spoken in the pages of scripture. They're historically verifiable. They are to be trusted. In fact, you can examine them and you can re-examine them. But ultimately and finally, what the scriptures do is they declare to us that God stepped into the human race in human form and declared himself. Is heaven silent? The answer is, it's not. God has spoken and continues to speak. That's the glorious news about the Bible. This is the speech of God. Well, welcome back to Truth and Life Today with Dr. John Newfeld. Uh, John, thank you for your message today. Uh, a lot of things came to mind while you were speaking, but one is about this silence, the people's perspective that God is silent. Is that true? Yeah, there are a number of people that would just argue that if somebody says, you know, God has spoken, yeah. you know, it's just like saying that, you know, some kind of a fairy tale is true. Yeah. But Ben, on the other side, there are all these people that are claiming that God is speaking to them all of the time. Yeah. And it's such a subjective experience now, so it's kind of like a, a mystical spiritual experience, but for them, there's no objective way to test whether or not it's really God. Okay. So it, it, I'm gonna argue that's not really a God talk either. It's just, 
what I think God should be saying. And, and I think the thing we want to emphasize is, I think what you're emphasizing is, the Word of God is God talking to us. Yeah, it's a different speech than anything else you'll ever hear in any other context, in out of any other source in our culture. So if you're looking for guidance, you're looking for wisdom, you're looking for the will of God, that's where you should start. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, thanks so much, John. We appreciate what you've done, what you've said today. And uh, remember to join us again next week right here on Truth and Life Today.